What's going on everyone? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. Name is Nick, finally back in action, and I am that Catholic dude. Thanks for tuning in here on Anchor FM or on whatever one of those wonderful apps you may be listening to, iTunes or what have you. Um, sorry for the long delay in podcasts um, recently. Life has kind of gotten crazy and in the way... Work's been nuts, and I have a day off today, and I just wanted to let everyone know that uh, I am still alive. That Catholic dude did not die, um, so it's, uh, I, I know it's probably been about a month or so since I last posted, and wow, Anchor has really uh, gotten some new things happening, so I, I'm excited to try out these new features that are on Anchor, and I'm really excited to start talking about the beauty of the Catholic Christian faith and to give a defense for that faith and to give those of you that may not be familiar with uh, Catholicism a more of a bird's eye view, more of a in-depth view as well um, on the Catholic faith. So whatever questions you guys might have on the Catholic faith or scripture, tradition, liturgy, the church itself, feel free to call in and I will do my best to answer any questions or concerns you have. So there's a lot of stuff that I, I do want to talk about today. And I don't think there's going to be enough time to really delve into everything, unfortunately. You know, there's been some crazy comments in the news. It's Easter. It's finally getting warm out, at least where I live. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a very, very cold winter and beginning of spring, you know, a lot to talk about uh, in the Catholic world right now. And what I'd like to do, though, is just post one last interview that I did not share before when I was at that focus conference, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students in Chicago earlier this year. I had the opportunity to also talk with um, in addition to, if you look back, Father Mike Schmitz of Ascension Presents and Sister Bethany Madonna, and a few other people go back in, in, into the timeline, or well, that's a Facebook term, whatever the term is on Anchor, go back and look into my past podcasts, and you'll see those interviews, but this interview I'm posting is with theologian Dr. Ralph Martin. You might know him, if you're Catholic, from the TV show Threshold of Hope on EWTN. He is also an active member in renewal ministries which is uh, a great apostolate and you can check out a lot of dr martin's work his written work at www.renewalministries.net uh great stuff there please check him out and we talked a little bit about you know some various things he he, he is a, a very intelligent man who talks about or who, who knows quite a bit, and we talked about in this interview, about kind of like some of the last things, you know, heaven, hell, death, judgment, uh, all that stuff. And he really answered some great questions that I had been thinking of after I read his book, Will Many Be Saved? Um, that was a book that came out in, I want to say maybe... Maybe about ten years ago. No, probably probably sooner than ten years ago. Great book though. Will many be saved by Dr. Ralph Martin? And you know he kind of gets into those last things, uh, what every person will experience at the end of their lives, regardless whether or not if they believe in God, 
in this world or don't you know it's 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 a fact of life that uh well death i guess but it's a fact that we will all face our lord at some time uh following our death and we got to a pretty good conversation he answered some some of these questions really excellently and i'd like to share that interview with dr ralph martin here and i may not be on in the next week or so because of work uh, so i'd like to leave this here for you guys to listen to in the meantime and hopefully Next week or two weeks from now, I'll be back more regularly to regularly scheduled programming, as it were. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview, uh, that Catholic Dudes interview with Dr. Ralph Martin. So enjoy. Okay. Uh, here sitting with uh, Dr. Ralph Martin of uh, Renewal Ministries. And uh, Dr. Martin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, speak with me today. Well, it's uh, great having an opportunity to share what the Lord's doing, Nick. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you were uh, named to the Pontifical Council for New Evangelization, I believe, um, as a consultant by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Right, um, along with Curtis Martin, founder of Focus. So we're the two oh. Catholic laymen on the uh, Pontifical Council together. We <laughs> just saw each other at a meeting this fall. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even realize he was on there, too. So, I mean, that's yeah. great the, with the with focus and everything, then. Yeah. Um, so, you, you've been around this this realm, this term of new evangelization for quite some time. And mm-hmm. the term itself has been around since uh, St. John Paul II pontificate. Mm-hmm. How should we define the new evangelization in 2018? Has it changed at all since the term was first coined? Yeah. Well, what's new about the new evangelization is not the message, which remains the same, and not the purpose, which is to bring people to conversion to Christ and membership in the church and to have them saved rather than lost. But uh, what what Pope John Paul II said was new about it was now it's not just directed towards far-off countries where people have never heard the gospel before, but now there's lots and lots of people who are baptized who aren't living as disciples of Jesus, and so they need to be re-evangelized. And so he does use the term re-evangelization as a synonym for evangelization, so new evangelization. So the first thing that's new about it is who it's directed to, the people all around us who are baptized Catholic who aren't living as disciples of Christ. The second thing that he says is new about it is that now it's not just for professional missionaries, priests and nuns, but it's actually for every single baptized layperson to embrace their mission uh, with Jesus. And thirdly, he says it needs to be new in ardor, method, and expression. New fervor, uh, new zeal for evangelization, new openness to new methods and new expressions. And I think that's really uh, what is happening now with the explosion of social media and all these different, you know, you got Instagram, Twitter, and, but then you got, you know, so many different ways that young people and, and you know, and of course people. Uh, the Gen Xers and so on, who are digesting information in a totally different way than they, than they were even like, 10 years ago. Um, in your book, uh, Will Many Be Saved, you noted that um, while we cannot judge the, um, the state of anyone's soul and you know what transpires at that moment of death, you said that it certainly appears that many people persevere to the end in their uh, rejection of God or uh, in in a life of immorality, perhaps. Um, You go on to say that many people, even those within the church, reject such a notion. 
what effect does this kind of rejection have on the new evangelization? Like, if a universalism or a virtual universalism is true, then why evangelize? That's, that's really a good question, Nick. <laughs> and I think that's a very serious problem right now in the church. I think lots of people have the impression that, you know, if you're not a serial killer, you know, uh, you know you're, you're going to be okay, you know, or that God is so merciful, he'll never let anybody be lost. But it's absolutely true that God is extremely merciful, but there needs to be a response to his mercy, like he doesn't force it on anybody. He offers forgiveness, he offers mercy, he offers a relationship, he offers salvation. But people have to say yes to it. And saying yes to it means believing, it means repenting, it means changing your life, it means responding to the love of a holy God by wanting to live a holy life yourself. And so there's just a lot of fog right now about the notion of mercy and not understanding that there has to be a yes to mercy. And you know, every time that Jesus expresses mercy in the gospel, we see he expects repentance and conversion. You know, the woman caught in adultery, you know, he says, you know, is there anybody left to condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, nobody's here. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you, but go and don't sin anymore. Or the, the parable of the prodigal son, you know, the, the son leaves his father's house and squanders his inheritance on loose living, dissolute living. He finally hits bottom so low that he wishes somebody would give him the food that the pigs are eating, which is really low for a Jew. And then finally, when he hits bottom, he comes to a census. He says, you know, I'm taking a wrong turn here. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll return to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against God. Take me back. And so the whole prodigal parable of the prodigal son is used to demonstrate the mercy of God. But uh, very seldom is it pointed out that the mercy of the father and the compassion of the father, which was always ready to be extended to the son, couldn't be effective until the son changed his direction, until the son came back home, until the son repented of the wrong turn he took. Same with the, uh, the person who was sick for 38 years on the, around the pool, and every time the angel you know, stirred the waters, he never could be the first one down there. Jesus saw him and took pity on him and healed him. But then the scripture says Jesus sought him out to tell him something. What did Jesus tell him? He said, don't sin anymore or something worse could happen to you. See, you've been healed, but don't sin anymore. So every time we see Jesus extending mercy and compassion, we see him definitely expecting a response of, of faith and repentance and conversion. So people are deluding themselves to think that somehow because God is merciful, they're going to be saved if they don't respond to that mercy. That's such a good way of saying it, because I feel like there's sometimes a, like a, a false mercy. People are giving, they're calling something mercy which is not mercy. Yeah, well, it's not merciful. It's not compassionate to not tell people the truth. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. You're, you're foolish. It's like, you know, there's medical malpractice, like a doctor who wouldn't tell his patient the truth that they had cancer because they didn't want to deal with the emotional response would be sued for malpractice, and very rightly so. Well, there's also spiritual malpractice. Not to tell people the truth about what can exclude them from the kingdom of God is terrible spiritual malpractice. You know, a lot, a lot of times people don't even know what, what serious sin is anymore, and the scripture is so clear. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Don't let anybody deceive you. 
the immoral will not enter the kingdom of God. Right. And then it gets real specific, the fornicator, the adulterer, the person who engages in homosexual activity, the thief, the robber, the miser, the drunkard, the sorcerer, will not enter the kingdom of God. But then the good news, Paul says, is well, some of you were in this stuff, but you've been set free. So people who are locked in sin can be delivered by the power of Christ and the power of his blood and the waters of baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're not really loving people if we don't tell them the truth. We need to be able to handle rejection, mockery, because Jesus had rejection and mockery too when he told people these things. And he says, that the, the servant is not above the master. If I've been rejected, you're gonna be rejected. He even said, look, this is gonna cause division even in families. There's gonna be mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws, and sons against fathers, and mothers against daughters over Jesus, you know, and, and it's, 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 it's sad, and we should do everything we can to preserve unity, but we can't preserve unity at the cost of being disloyal to Christ, you know, and denying his word, and denying his truth, but Jesus said, if you don't witness before me, before men, uh, I, I can't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven, so Jesus expects us to put him first in our life, even above the closest relationships. Before I get back to uh, evangelization proper, I had one question in your book, uh, Will Many Be Saved? You had mentioned that Balthazar posits that a chance for repentance after death is possible. You then comment that this has no basis in Scripture, the magisterium. No. The Does magi it offer us a chance after death? No. The magisterium actually rules says there are no chances after death. It's at the moment of death, the state of your soul that's going to determine your eternal judgment. So that's just wishful thinking. Unfortunately, it's misleading people. Yeah, because I've heard it from a lot of yeah. otherwise very solid Catholics. Yeah, yeah, even some very pious Orthodox Catholics have kind of got into this foggy haze about universalism and and kind of hang on really flaky theological theories as a, as a, that directly contradict the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the Church. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and this will be my final question for you. Um, when we talk about evangelization and evangelization and mission work today, we've been talking about that a lot here at Focus mm -hmm. uh, during the SLS conference, we often hear people warning us against proselytism. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the word isn't really defined. Yeah. Sometimes it's defined as too pushy when evangelizing. And some people even say that the call to conversion itself is proselytizing. Yeah. Um, Pope Francis has warned us many times against proselytizing. Yeah. And then, but then sometimes I, I contrast that with uh, what a lot of people say with something that atheist Penn Jillette once said of Penn and Teller fame. He said, I don't respect people. And this is after a Christian gave him a Bible after a show. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I, I saw that clip. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Um, just uh, yeah, go ahead and say it. Yeah. People, um, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Yeah. So what's yeah. your take on all that? Is it always is, is proselytism always a bad thing? What's the difference? Well, well, I, I think if he understood the difference between proselytism and evangelization, he wouldn't have used the word proselytizing. He's saying somebody who doesn't tell people what they really need to know to save their life doesn't love them, hates them, you know. So proselytism is commonly understood as using undue means or pressure or methods to compel somebody into faith rather than respecting their freedom. We used to talk about the rice Christians in China because the missionaries kind of gave 
merciful help with material, you know, possessions and things like that, or even Africa, you know, medical care and schooling. So sometimes people became Christians because they were getting material benefits type of thing. So, so what the proselytizing, or sometimes people are badgering people or compelling them or putting psychological pressure on them. So we have to respect people's freedom, but we have to boldly proclaim the truth. And that's what evangelization is, you know. So unfortunately, proselytizing is using undue pressure, undue means, or improper means to, to, to force somebody's freedom. Evangelization is presenting them with vital information they need to know in order to be saved, which we really need to do with confidence and with boldness. Right. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Doctor. It was great to get a lot of clarification on these people. Thank you. thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for being attentive to this particular issue because not a lot of people are, and I'm really glad that you identified this as a really key issue because it really is because the whole the whole call to the new evangelization is going to fall off people's head like water off a duck's back because they say, well, that's nice, but you know, I don't really feel like I'm not going to make a sacrifice for it because virtually everybody's going to be saved, you know, so we don't really need to do it. So that's why this is really undermining urgency for evangelization. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, good. Thank you.